0: My name is Kevin Kutzel. I'm the lead of the missions team here at Freshwater. And I'm here with Nikki and Len. And the reason that we're together is to talk about a missions trip that we want to take next February, uh, February 3rd to the 14th. Um, It'll be our seventh missions trip to Germany. And it has really proven to be a very positive experience. And Nikki, I wanted to ask you, you you've gone two years in a row now. What impact has going to Germany made on your life personally?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so the first time Monique ever talked about it, I just had this stirring inside of me just because uh, passion for children and the English day camp, working with, you know, elementary aged kids, that just excited me. And then as it got closer and closer, I remember feeling like, I don't think I can say yes to this. because. Just fear and anxieties took over and like leaving my family I was a mom of four like how is this even gonna work um, but I was sitting through a service and like the Holy Spirit just prompted me like I couldn't listen to the service and there was a stirring because it was kind of like the last call they still needed members for this team and I just remember feeling the spirit and just saying you have to go and so just that act of obedience so I guess that would be I would encourage anybody out there that is having that stirring or just, I don't know, like that prompting from the spirit to really pray because, um, saying yes was one of the best things I ever did. Um, it grew me in so many ways. I think that the last two years, especially, um, I had a belief in God, but it was like that trust piece too. Like, do you trust me with everything? Mm. And so it was like, throwing all my anxieties out the door of like leaving the kids, kids mm. that didn't want me to go. <laughs> Is my suitcase too heavy? Because when you pack for the winter, it's, you know. So it's all these anxieties as a mom leaving the first time. I've never been on a mission trip before. Um, so it just was amazing to see how God was like, I've got this, I've got you. Mm. And even the second time, I mean, we were <laughs> through ice, hurricanes, um, tornadoes, <laughs> hotel rooms, you know, and usually my anxiety would be out the roof, but God was like, I've got this. I've got your team and I'm providing for you mm-hmm. and providing. It's its not just me going on a missions trip. It was my family saying, mom, we see how much you love these people. You need to go. Or my husband saying, you, we, you've got this. I've got this. We're good. Or my son writing a prayer because of my anxiety and praying over me because of his suitcase. Um, issue for weight and then my little Amelia who's five um my luggage got lost coming home this last time and they had no idea where it was I think I don't even know where it was um but mine was lost and she prayed for it one night just can mom get her suitcase back and so we got up the next morning and there was my, there was my suitcase on the doorstep and she goes mom we prayed <laughs> to god for that and there's your suitcase so it's just so much more than saying yes to a mission trip because hmm. it's fully funded. I mean, God fully funded both Hmm. of my trips and people praying or writing notes. It's like you feel things and it's only the spirit, you know, it's only God. So I would encourage anybody out there that's had that prompting to just pray and say yes, because it's just an amazing experience.
0: Amen. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So Lynn, uh, we've gone six years now Mm -hmm. and you were on part of this last missions trip. Um, What did you observe in terms of the impact that our continually going has made um, over there um, with the people that you met? And why would you encourage us to be sending teams in the future?
2: Yeah, well, when, when you talk about impact, Kevin, I, I would say that it's a God-size impact. Hmm. That's the only way to explain it. How, what God has already done through the teams going over and what he seems to be setting up in the future, mm-hmm. I'm really excited that Freshwater actually can have a part in that. Uh, when we when we showed up um, i wasn't prepared for this and i don't think the team uh, was totally prepared either but when we first walked into the room to meet the Varan team there was this immediate openness acceptance this connection that was there that i was taken back because i'm like whoa this isn't what i thought we were going to see and i found out later that that wasn't normal for the team mm-hmm. so so what we did is we got to experience we continually send consistently teams over and the work that they do we benefited from that and what i've seen happen is is that these relationships have moved from what i hear from tasks right we've all gotten together as a task or to accomplish something with english day camp or whatever it is and these these relationships have now moved from task to actual true relationships mm-hmm. like like the love for one another the openness mm-hmm. the transparency the trust like all of that is transferred from team to its It's really, really cool to see what God's done with that. Um, And so then the relationships go deeper, and you're able to love at a deeper level, level, and you're able to have more of these significant life-changing conversations all from this relationship. And and why that's important is is that, I, I don't know if Freshwater's aware of this, but the teams that we work with outside of the international workers, no one has a relationship with Christ. So the teams that we partner with are a bunch of people that don't know Jesus mm-hmm. yet. And these relationships to see God use it is just incredible. Um, heard a pastor this week talking about everything that was going on from the district. And and um, it was an African-American pastor and the things that are going on in America right now. And, and he had said this and he had a mentor years ago who said, um, change happens at the speed of relationships. And I thought how powerful that was because of what we're going through right here. But then I thought, Oh my goodness like that is across Mm. a lot of different contexts and god's just allowed that and the relationships that build and what we're able to do so just just over the last two weeks we've all received a present from germany which has been amazing Mm -hmm. um so these packages came in the mail two of the uh german chocolates and Mm -hmm. some other uh german candies in there as well Mm And then there was homemade masks. We, we even got a, a WhatsApp that uh, showed the video of them putting these packages together. It's just really cool. We've been able to you know, maintain communication like that. But in that is a letter, and I want to read this real quick. This came to all of us. It says, Dear American Friends, we hope you, your families, and your friends are well and safe in these strange times. Just imagine if English Camp could have been only a few weeks later. What a big luck we had which I think is awesome with translation, right? How in Germany, um, now in Germany they have slowly started to loosen the corona rules and we are happy to get back to at least some normality. To let you know that we are thinking of you, we have sent you a little present. Stay healthy, our whole team is wishing you all the best smiles and hugs and the 13 people that we served with have all signed these letters wow. so you talk about that relationship and, and what god is doing and like i said he's setting up something mm-hmm. because some of the conversations that we've had it's incredible to think that we have an opportunity to be a part of that as far as sending why do we go back outside of we're commanded and called right like that's what we're supposed to do outside of the partnership I mean, we have a partnership, and if we have a partnership, part of that partnership is sending teams, right? Um, the connections, but but really it's the fruit, Kevin, that I'm seeing, and the, the potential for fruit, and I think the fruit that's mm-hmm. right around the corner. Whether it's affecting Nikki's life, mm-hmm. and Nikki's family's life, my life, um, the kids that we work with, partnering with the international workers there, um, but ultimately it's those relationships that we're building, Kevin, that isn't going to happen just with a one-and-done trip. Mm-hmm. So it's right. incredible to think what God's setting up and we have an opportunity to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Really exciting.
0: Amen, thank you Len. Yeah. A few weeks later, you guys would still be there. I
2: know, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's
3: that true. We thought coming back was hard enough, but
2: that
1: would have really been Actually, something. that probably would have been part for the so, course. <laughs> yes,
0: so there you have it. And you have the opportunity to be part of the next trip going in February. Um, we ask that you pray about it, ask the Lord if that would be part of his plan for your life. Um, we need to know by August 1st, and that seems like a long, you know, a long time before the trip, but we need that because there's all that planning that goes into it, all the execution. And um, so if you could just pray about it over this summer, um, if you have any questions, you can call the church office, you can call me personally. Uh, please fill out an application, they're available. We can email you the application. And uh, we really just ask that you consider it. We need a team of 10 people, and we're praying that at least two will be men. Um, and we're just excited that God has put this partnership together and the opportunities we have to really participate and be a real, um, a real servant and, a, and be used by God uh, to change um, the people in Barnes. So thank you. So let's. Uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to pray for our team in Varan, pray for the people, and then also pray that the Lord would speak to you if it's part of his will. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege that we have had to participate over these last six years in Varan. I thank you for Monique and her leadership in taking the teams year after year. And I, I thank you for all that have gone from Freshwater And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will raise up this team for next year, just as you have in past years. You know who you have called to go, and we just pray in faith that you will speak to their hearts and that they will respond out of obedience. Lord, I pray for our team in Barron that you will continue to um, guide them, lead them. I pray for their safety. I pray for Ben and Sarah Carey, Lord, that you will watch over their family. And, uh, Lord, we, just, we pray for all the relationships. We thank you for those relationships. We pray that we can go deeper in those relationships. And we, we pray, Lord Jesus, that the gospel that has already been planted, Lord, will germinate, will grow, and, Lord, will reproduce. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are part of it. And we pray that we will be faithful in the name of Jesus. Amen.
4: Spirit come this morning and meet us in our homes
5: Spirit.
6: Stand a chance when I stand in your love, my feet. Doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, my feet. Doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Tries to roll over my bones. When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know, oh, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. And my stand a chance when I stand There's resurrection power there
4: praise you for the security of just being in your presence, uh, and and just getting to live and dwell there, Uh, and we thank you that your perfect love casts out fear that there's no space for it, and this morning, Lord, um, teach us to dwell, teach us to dwell like Mary at your feet, and just hear from you, and receive from you, and wait for you. the line in the first song that says everything else can wait but just being with you and so christ that's what we want we want that this morning we want that every day lord just to dwell with you and uh you've seen these times they've been uh, pretty pretty difficult times lord but your hand is on everything lord would you would you still our hearts would you pour out peace on our on our people pour out peace on me still my anxious heart lord Christ, we ask that you would just do that, that you would dwell near to us, walk with us. We pray this in your name, amen.
7: Hey, Freshwater, I hope you're doing well just in your walk with Christ and connecting with him. Um, What I wanna do is, before we jump into this, I just wanna pray. Uh, Not only just for this time, but uh, again, just uh, pray for our nation, pray for us as we walk through this, uh, for us individually and as a church family here. And uh, let me just, just join me as we uh, start these few moments here uh, with Christ in prayer. Uh, Lord, I just pray for us, our church, that you would continue to, Have your hand on us, strengthening us, guiding us. I pray for our nation. Lord, I pray that you would hear not only our prayers and our our voice calling out to you, but those of your church, your family here in America calling out for our country. And we join the prayers that say bring revival. We join the prayers that say bring your justice. Your kind of justice, not not man's defi- definition of justice, but your justice in our country. Lord, would you put into us resolve to see your kingdom come, your will be done, as we look and, and see what's going on in our nation? Lord, would you lead us towards fighting against racism in the ways that you would have this have us do, and fighting for justice. As you lead us forward, Lord, would you also shepherd us, keep us as a church family? Lord, you, we have been—we've been meeting in one sense, Jesus, um, gathering online, calling each other, making sure we're okay. But Lord, we haven't been able to get together and. I pray this next week, Lord, and in the weeks to come, you would continue to shepherd us, guide us, lead us as a church, and speak to us into these moments here, Lord, through your word. Amen. I have a question for you. When do you think, in your own mind, when is someone responsible for their own soul? For for owning the care of their soul, as it were. Is it when somebody starts driving, so at 16, is that when the age is that someone starts to care for their soul, that, that they're responsible for it? I mean, back in Kansas, it was actually 14 years old. You could drive at 14 on the roads. It was, it was great. Um, culture says, you know, maybe it's 18 years old when you're old enough to be tried as an adult. Culture kind of says that that's the, the line. Maybe it's 21 when you drink alcohol. I don't know. You're responsible for what happens if you do. Um, I don't know. You look at Judaic culture, and when a boy turned 13, when a girl turned 12, that was the age of responsibility. And part of the tradition out of that, it's, it's serious. And then there's a funny thing in the middle of that. The father. When it's at the bar mitzvah for a boy, the father gives thanks to God that he's no longer responsible for the sins of his child, (laughs) which I think is funny. It's serious, but it's also funny like, oh, thank you, Lord. They're making their own decisions. So I don't know, for those of you who are 12 or 13 right now, do you ever think about the fact that really the care of your soul may be, in fact, on you now and not on your parents? Your spiritual decisions? If you read through the Bible, there's stories out of the Bible of of these boys and these girls who would follow Christ. We got a great story here in 1 Samuel where Samuel the prophet is a boy. And at a young age, it says he's a boy and he hears from God. God starts to actually speak through him a vision and explaining what's going to be happening. And it says this, that Samuel grew in verse 19 of chapter 3, and the Lord was with him and he let none of his words fall to the ground. So somewhere in there, Samuel is already at a young age, owning his faith and his relationship with God. Jump over, there's another famous story in 2 in Chronicles, and there's this boy, King Josiah, it says, He was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. David wasn't actually his father, father, but he was from the line of David centuries later. And he didn't run or turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so he's 16 years old, While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the 20th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. So the Bible talks about how he he took over the sovereign reign, the throne of the southern kingdom of Judah. But when he was 16, that's when he started to go for it. That's when he started to take ownership of of his faith. And then Four years later, the courage and the resolve to actually purify the country of idols. Six years later, he's 26. He he has this compulsion, led by God. After all the idols are cleared, to, to, he looks around. and goes, "Wait a minute! The temple, the temple's in, in shambles here." And so they rebuild the temple. They start fixing it back up. It's a it's a whole renovation project. And then they find. The book of the law, like nobody had been looking at the book of law. It was in the temple somewhere under debris, back in a storage room. I I don't know where it was. And, And this priest found it. And it says in chapter 34, verse 19, this priest came and read out of the book of the law. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He started to weep. Probably heard from Deuteronomy and Exodus about this covenant that God had made with Israel to bless those who obey him, but also to bring judgment on those who disobey him. And he knew he just cleaned out the southern kingdom of all these idols. And he, he knew Israel was in a perilous place. And you can read about that story. I encourage you to go do that. Chapter 34, I won't tell you the end. It's, it's a great story. But what's interesting about Josiah is he didn't have the word of God. He was 16, and he started to own it, but he didn't have the word of God. In fact, if you look at his heritage, his family, his dad was one of the worst kings ever. His dad hated God, led the southern kingdom away from God. I think it's interesting that Josiah owns his faith. Samuel owns his faith, and he's in a temple where all the priests are corrupt. And yet Samuel pursues God. You know, a few weeks ago I talked about what does it look like, or this, this call to come back stronger. Since we cannot gather, come back stronger. Come back healthier. And as a staff, we've been talking about this and, and just trying to think through what, what does that look like for someone to come back stronger? What are the elements that should be part of this? And as a staff, we've put together these next four weeks of messages. This isn't just me. These are conversations the staff has had, some of the elders, and we've talked about this, of what does, what does owning our faith mean while we can't gather? And actually, now that we're going to gather, but some of us may not even feel comfortable coming yet. Let me just be clear. Everyone, boy, girl, at that age of accountability, whether that's 12, 13, 16, somewhere in that, that age group, 18, anyone for sure over 18, definitely, I'd say it stretches earlier than that, can own your faith. If boys can own their faith, if boys and girls can do this at a younger age, maybe then we give credit for And the question I have for you and for me is, are we owning our walk with God? Are we owning our faith? I mean, sometimes I think we get lulled into lies and deception and laziness and apathy or complacency. Sometimes we think if, if, I don't know, maybe this is you, if if I gather on Sunday morning and Pastor Scott gives me the message and Jake gives the worship and he does the right songs in the right order or Pastor Scott gives like a a, halfway decent message and doesn't give a, you know, like a a lame one or whatever, doesn't lay an egg, right? Then I'm good for the week, like it's on me or it's on Jake, that, that. Or, or maybe you go to the youth ministry and if, if Lynn is up for it, he gives one of the best messages, really is Lynn and you're good for the week, or you're, you're maybe, I, I don't know where you do this, but we farm it out to somebody else, and, and it's up to them, if they don't do it well, then it's really, well, it's, it's their fault and not, it's not on you. Let me just say this and and make this clear. No one else is responsible for the care of your soul except for you. If you're at that age of accountability. Is your soul getting stronger? Are you owning this? The care of your soul or are you passive in it? So over these next four weeks, we're going to talk about these first two weeks, just our own soul, owning it for our soul. Two messages on that, and then the following two weeks will be owning our relationships and owning our home. And as we think about even just today tackling this issue, what does it mean to own it? It starts first and foremost, our our. Care, the care of our soul, the the health of our soul starts with the word of God. If you want to see your, your soul grow stronger, your soul get healthier, grow deeper, it starts with the word of God. It's not fancy. It's nothing new. I think often there's always the next thing. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? There there is no next thing. There is the word of God. It's the same. Yesterday, today, in the future. Jesus says, and he spoke to Timothy and said this, that all scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our souls would be equipped. Jesus said through the writer of Hebrews in in chapter 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing right to the soul and the spirit, the joints, the marrow, discerning the hearts, the intentions, uh, or discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Romans chapter 1 says this word is the power of God for salvation. Psalms 119 says this word is a lamp in the darkest place, right? A lamp unto our feet, a light to our path. Jesus talks about how this word is life. This word abides in us. This word gives us hope. This word. Word God says over and over again in so many different ways. It is the surest way to find Him, connect with Him, and to see our souls get life and health. You know, Psalms chapter one. You know, what does that look like? How does that work? Psalms one says to meditate on the word day and night. Now, meditates a farming word. We we look at that, and and you may think like the Om, oh, you know, like the. Um it's actually a farming word. It's a farming word for chew your cud, which is kind of gross. So what cows do, I, I don't know if you ever owned a steer, but imagine most of us have not owned a steer, a cow. But what cows do is they take a big bite of food, right? Grain, alfalfa, whatever they're eating, they chew it, chew it a long time, swallow it, and then think, yeah, that was really good. And they, what, herp it up, barf it up, I don't know, it comes back up, and they chew it again. And they do that process with their food to get all the nutrients, to get all the vitamins, to get all the whatever, out of it they can't. And The psalmist says, I want you to ruminate on the word of God. It's kind of like, oh, but it it makes sense, right? Chew it, swallow it, then bring it back up. Chew it, chew it, get everything you can out of it. Swallow it again, maybe bring it back up again. And you're like, ugh. but it's the word. That's the word right out of Psalms 1. Ruminate on it. Don't take a quick bite, inhale it, you're done. Ruminate. Come to the word of God. Ruminate on it. And what God begins to do is we come to him. There are moments where it's it's out of those moments where we bring it back up. We come back to it. That God starts to send it deeper and deeper into our souls. There's moments where you could read along and it's like a lightning bolt zap. That is the passage you needed in that moment on that day. Like how does that happen? And so many of us have stories of how God has done that for us and fed our souls. We come to the word of God and what happens is we start to get fed. We we start to go deeper. Our souls get cared for. What does that look like? I just want to be, you know, just kind of very practical. You know, some people, you can download an app, uh, a Bible read-through app and read through the Bible in a year. That's a great way. You can maybe buy a devotional That maybe takes a verse or a passage and explains it on a page. And and that can be really rich and and meaningful. That's a way. You can join one of our Bible studies that we have here. We we take a a book and and there's a workbook. You do homework on it. You come back. you, You compare. You listen to a teacher. That's another way it gets you deep into that. There's there's all kinds of ways to do this, memorizing the word of God. That's something that that the Bible talks about, hiding the word in our heart, memorizing favorite verses, memorizing verses that we need. Maybe right now you need a verse that helps you in fear or when fear comes and anxiety comes. There's so many verses about fear and just memorizing those and just saying, no, no, wait a minute, this is the promise of God, this is the truth of God, I will not fear. Cast all my cares on him. He's going to care for me. There's so many ways to approach the Bible. There isn't a right way and a wrong way to do it. And and as you begin, I want to encourage you on that. Don't, Don't feel like you're locked in because we're all kind of wired differently. Explore. Try different things. Don't get stuck in one way of doing it for years. Try something new. But the Word of God, if we're going to own our faith, it starts here. It starts with us and the Word. And we have this incredible privilege. Like we actually can own a copy of the Word, we can own a copy of it. Like we can actually walk around with this thing, we can have one in our room. I mean, it's unprecedented when you think, oh, I. I can't believe I said that word. Uh, it's incredible when you think about world history. Like there was like a copy of the word, like when you think back to even uh, Josiah, like it's in this room, disrepair, they can't find it, because most Israel, nobody had copies of it. There was a copy in the temple. That was it. And you and I get one of these things, and I don't want to throw guilt on you, I just to say it's an incredible privilege. take advantage of it. So let me ask you something. Are you owning it? Are you owning for the the care of your soul by getting into this word? And not just once on a Sunday when I'm preaching this message, but you're in this word. It starts here. It starts here. I remember even when I was young and I would always uh, talk to these people who walked with Christ for, you know, forever, I thought like they were just ancient. And uh, now I'm realizing I'm at the age where they thought I was, an- where I thought they were ancient, <laughs> but uh, I'd always go, how do you know so much about the word? And it wasn't just me like a pastor. It's just these people that I, I know love Jesus that were in their forties, fifties, sixties. And like, how do you know who seems so old? And now I'm there and I'm realizing it just comes daily. It's nothing fancy. It's just daily getting into this word. And owning it for yourself. Nobody else can make you do it. You can even fake it and get into it and pretend like you're reading it. But the question is, will you own it? So the Word, the Word is the surest way, the simplest way, the clearest way to begin to own our own soul and the care of it in our spiritual walk. The second thing I want to speak into, just a practical step of what it means to own our faith and the care of our soul is solitude and silence. And what's interesting, if you read through the Bible, there's all kinds of stories about God and his people getting away into silence, solitude, getting away from it all. And in Luke, it's interesting, there's multiple stories here where Jesus, or references where Jesus gets away from it all. Chapter 4, Of Luke, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days it was Jesus and the Spirit communing with the Father. 40 days. Another story in chapter 4 at the end, in verse 46, it says this, And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. Over in chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, or 15 and 16, it says, But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Flip over to chapter 6. And these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. All night, he continued in prayer to God you see this rhythm where Jesus got away from it all, got away from people, got away from culture, got away from the press of crowds, got away from all the expectations, got away from the noise, and he got into solitude with him and the Father and the Spirit. This is the Son of God. And it's not just here in Luke, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in John. Solitude does something for our souls. That silence does something for our souls. It it stops distractions from the outside. It stops the voices from the outside. It stops the agendas and the priorities of, of other people the pressures of society and culture. But it's not just solitude for solitude, solitude's sake. It's it's moving away to move towards, right? It's moving away from that to move towards God and commune with him, connection with him. But if you're... It creates, which is interesting, it creates a whole different problem. I love what Richard Foster says. And Richard Foster is famous about writing and encouraging Christians to own the care of their soul. He he wrote a book called The Spiritual Disciplines of These Things Can Help You Own It. And he talks about solitude and silence a lot. And I love what he said. This is so disrupting. He says this. It's a fascinating statement. He says this, we can only survive solitude if we cling to Christ when we're in solitude. We can only survive solitude when we cling to Christ when we're there. And you may think, like, what does that mean, survive solitude? Well, what happens when we go into solitude and we get away from it all? All we're left with is us in Christ. And I don't know if you've ever done this or gotten away, but what starts to happen, and and he describes his experience, and it's the experience of so many people who've done this. Often what can happen in solitude is finally all the distractions are done, and all that's left is, is me, or all left is really you. And I can get into these moments where all of a sudden I'm daydreaming about Like, revenge, I'm daydreaming about, like, maybe I've just read this story about what they're doing to Christians, and and I want revenge, and I can literally start daydreaming about revenge and and killing people in the name of Christ, right? And I get done, my blood pressure's up, and I'm like, what is that? Or I start daydreaming about, oh, if I had this money, I could do that, or "I'll, I'll go buy that, or I start thinking about, what if I was famous? What if they knew me? What if they were like friends, right? What if I was this? and what? It's all the things that start to come up, and I'm like, what are all these things? And that's what Richard Foster says. If we survive solitude, it's only because we're clinging to Christ. Because what happens in solitude is Christ says, okay, let's start to deal with some of these things. And it doesn't happen every time, but often that's what happens. He's like, the problem isn't out there. The problem's in here. And he says, I want you to die to that, and I want you to confess this, and I want you to surrender this. And he starts to take us deeper and deeper into surrender, deeper and deeper into yielding, deeper into submissiveness. And what happens is our soul starts to get healthy as we confess and surrender. Solitude takes us deeper into that. Silence takes us deeper into that. You know, it's, it's often what happens is we, we have moments of silence even in our services sometimes. And I have people, <laughs> I've heard comments over the year, people are like, that freaks me out or that freaks people out. Why is that? Afraid of silence and solitude. There's something there about that solitude and not being distracted and not having noise, that all of a sudden it's us and it's God. There's another part of solitude and silence that isn't about the deeper surrender, but it's about the receiving. The idea that we come and God gives us things. In Luke chapter 4, what's interesting is Jesus goes out for 40 days, right? Fasting, solitude, he's tempted, all that withstands tempt- temptation. But he comes back and it says this, he returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. In chapter 4, again, towards the end, what happened is he came back and he knew he had clarity on his missions. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's my purpose. That's my mission. I'm staying on point because people were starting to distract. Oh, Jesus, you could do this. And oh, Jesus, you could do that. And Jesus came back focused. This is my mission. This is my purpose. Out of solitude and prayer and silence. Jesus at other time withdrew to, in chapter five, desolate places, comes back and heals, heals someone again, Chapter 6, he goes up to the mountain to praise. and when he comes back, what does he do? He calls the 12. Finally, the full team is together. He comes back, and him and the Spirit of God and God the Father, they look at this, and, and he has, they know the team. These are the people I'm going to invest in and call. He comes back, gathers his disciples. He received direction. He received purpose. He received power. That's what happens in solitude in silence as God says, let me give this to you. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give this to you. One of the most, I think in our generation, one of the most famous men that I knew had this discipline of solitude. Silence was Bill Bright. He started Campus Crusade for Christ. It's called Crew now. Um, he started that on his own, him and his wife. And they had this call to go reach college students. And that man, I think, it was multiple times, at least, I think it was three times, it may have been more, he did 40 day fasts and prayer. Got away, solitude and prayer. For 40 days he did that, multiple times. When he died, there was 26,000 people on staff, over 250,000 that were volunteers, a part of Campus Crusade, In 191 nations, and who knows? It's countless how many people, how many students started to follow Christ because of that man. And what he received in those times of fasting from the Lord. Power, anointing, purpose, direction. I wonder sometimes if we don't own it because we're not coming to him to receive what we need to own and what he'll give us to do it. Because when he calls us to do something, he's going to empower us and he's going to give us direction for it. But we won't take the time to get away and stop, stop the noise and and, and make sure that our hearts are pure and clean and and there's nothing grabbing us and holding us back and also to receive. Solitude is such a powerful thing. And I wonder even now what, what it looks like going forward. I and mean, we were in this moment in our, this is just a, this is one of the most trying times I've seen in our nation. I think many of us are seeing this. We have this, we have this pandemic. It's really this, it's, it's a physical pandemic, right? COVID-19 and what it has done to us as a country, what it has done to many of us individually. It's wrecked a lot of us. It's been difficult for us. A lot of fear, a lot of concern. We have a a social pandemic in our nation right now. And that is bringing its own set of fear and worry and anxiety. And we're seeing, we're just seeing the nation on fire. And we have, I would say, uh, this is, I I was just listening to a pastor here, Tony Evans, and he said, these are his, these aren't mine. I wish I could say these are mine, but he says we also have a spiritual pandemic and that our nation is rejecting God, which is bringing a whole different set of death, right? More death. I just want to close with this illustration. We, um, we're raising uh, 24 meat birds. So we raise them up and take them to the butcher and we'll put them in our freezer. And uh, in the past year, we haven't ever had hawks live on our property. We got some woods and we've never had hawks there. And last year they decided to come in and we thought, oh, that's so cute. That's so fun. We got hawks. "Eh!" Like they're loud. Um, So this hawk is, and I think that we, we've had probably hawklings, I don't know what you call them, but uh, this one hawk comes over to our little chicken tractor, which is only eight foot by eight foot square. It's got a little roof on it, a little kind of like dome thing or whatever, and then it's got fencing on the other half of it. So our, our chickens are, are in this eight by eight pin, totally protected, and this hawk comes and lands on it. And he's stressing out my chickens. Like, our chickens are freaking out because this hawk is looking over them and trying to figure out where his meal is going to come. How is he going to get it? And our chickens run all over the place, and he freaks them out. We're going to try to figure out what to do with Mr. Hawk. Something something nonviolent. But I wonder if that is really a description of us. Even right now, with all of this going on, we're, we're stressed out, we're running around, we're maybe freaking out, maybe whatever, I, I don't know. And Christ is saying, would you come away? Come away and be with me. Come away, turn off the news, turn off the phones, leave it all behind, and be with me. Hear from me. Let me take things from you, and let me give you thanks. We have this vision of seeing our church coming back, every single one of us, healthier, stronger than when this all started. And not just healthier and stronger, but all of us. I think there's this, there's this you know, concern I have where Jesus calls us, we're sheep. We're sheep. That's what he says. My my people, you're you're my sheep and and I'm your shepherd. And, And sometimes when we we think that the shepherd's not around, we start to wander. The shepherd's still here, but we'll wander. And our vision is not only to come back healthier and stronger, but to come back all together. Don't wander. I would encourage you to listen to the Lord and just you and him say, how am I doing with the word? How am I doing in silence and solitude to hear from you? To not only to have you remove things, but have you give me things. What is he calling you to own? Hopefully in these few moments he's speaking to you. And you'll respond. And take ownership of your faith. God bless you.